Welcome back to the OverthinkingIt.com podcast, episode two, part two. When we recorded this episode, it went on for more than an hour, and so we split it into two sections, the politics section and the Oscar section. You've already heard the politics section, and if you haven't, you can get it on the website at OverthinkingIt.com or on iTunes. Here is our discussion of the 2008 Academy Awards. This Oscars uh, was the lowest rated uh, Oscar telecast in history, surpassing the low watermark of 2003 when the Oscars were held three days after we invaded uh, Iraq. What do you think? Why why was this? And, you know, let me just say that one theory is that the films are the lowest grossing slate of Oscar films in, you know, in recent memory. That is, there was a time uh, when the five Best Picture nominees were often uh, five of the top grossing movies of the of the year. Well, I just want to point out if if our slate would have been the uh, the top five uh, grossing movies for for 2007, it would have been uh, Shrek the Third, Transformers, Pirates of the Caribbean three, and Harry Potter whatever whatever, and Spi- uh, and probably Spider Man three. So three th- so three threes, right? Yeah, uh, three threes and uh, what is Order of the Phoenix, the fifth Harry Potter, fourth Harry Potter, fifth. That's that's the fifth one. Yeah. Yeah, so... I, I do want to throw out that I think Starscream was robbed for Best Supporting Actor. <laughs> <laughs> Starscream's always robbed. He's always going pissed off at the after party, drinking half a bottle of uh, champagne and yelling how he's going to go kill Megatron and also, like, Tom Dewey Jones. I do hear um... he's dating Paris Hilton now. Oh, oh really? really? They'll give it to him for, for, for number three, you know, a little bit down the road. They'll, they'll, re, they'll compensate him for this one. So. When they give it to Starscream for the play, for the movie he does about, you know, the, the, um, the Cambodian genocide, it'll really be for Transporter. Transporter. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I, I'll say this. I don't really, I mean, I have an alternative theory. Um, and, this, and this is my theory for why the Oscars grow so low. Um, I think that we've seen a divergence, a sort of coincidence, it's coincidental, um, coincidental divergence, a bit of a paradox, uh, between the worship of celebrity and the worship and the sort of success of celebrity as a motive force behind, like celebrity actors as a motive force behind movies. Um, and I think that the point of the sort of cultural turning point for this is, uh, is Benefer. I think that it all turns on Affleck and Lopez. Because one of the amazing things about J- uh, Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck is, you know, they were on the cover of People magazine 51 out of 52 weeks in that year, and they didn't make a single movie that grossed over, like, $4.50. Um, that was the year of Jiggly. So now, you know, look at your People magazines. Look at your, your, your gossip rags. Look at the actresses that used to be the ones that everyone used to watch on the red carpet, the people that everyone used to follow all the time. They're not asked the Oscars anymore. You know, they're not going to these things. They're not in movies. They don't even work. You know, they just walk around, and, and uh, you know, Brad Pitt wasn't in any movies this year, and he was one of the biggest celebrities of the year for a lot of people. Lindsay Lohan in two movies, right? Yeah. Uh, in yeah. I Know Who Killed Me, the uh, stripper murder picture, and another one that escapes me now. Yeah, um, I don't know. And she did that spread in New York Magazine. But would yeah. you get the Oscars? I don't know. I'd probably not. I mean, maybe. Um, but, I mean, if people, if, if people went out there... Who was the big Jessica Alba, you know Jennifer Garner? These are not the kind of celebrity, you know, beautiful celebrities, the celebrities of the glamour, them that people 
tune into the Oscars to see, people who aren't me, people who don't turn into the Oscars to see the montage of binoculars and periscopes, which I thought was freaking brilliant. Um, so that's my theory, anyway, is that is that you've seen movie stars, used to be movie stars um, on one hand, and then they would promote their movies by having their lives be kind of public, and that goes all the way back to the, the 30s. Um, and now you've seen this disjointment where the popular movie stars, the celebrity movie stars, they're not even the ones making the movies that people are seeing anymore. Um, even less so than, you know, There Will Be Blood and No Country for Old Men. Nobody saw I Know Who Killed Me. Um, I guess probably a lot of people saw it. Maybe no, it nobody saw Jessica Simpson's movie. Nobody saw, which no one's going to see Paris Hilton's movie. Yeah, uh, exactly. Right. Damien Lynn Spears on the Disney Channel. You know, nobody's going to see that. Well, I don't know, actually. I mean, a lot of tween girls are going to see that. It's true. But, but it's not the Oscars. I mean, the top grossing movie two two weeks ago or something like that was the Hannah Montana concert film, the the Miley Cyrus, Hannah Montana. Miley Cyrus was at the Oscars. What the hell was Miley Cyrus doing at the Oscars, you know? I'd be really scared that Billy Ray Cyrus was going to beat on her if she screwed up, I think. I, she looked so tense. She looked so stressed out. Well, she was she was outclassed by the... I mean, she was out of her element, you know? If you're used to... When performance means, you know, 10,000 tween girls screaming their high-pitched screams for you, like you're the Beatles or something, you know, and then suddenly you're in a room full of industry professionals, you know, even if you are the highest-paid kid in history, what can you... Though I guess Harry Potter is the highest-paid kid in history. Did they etch out Macaulay? <laughs> that makes me sad. So uh, an average of 32 million viewers were watching at any given minute during uh, the the Oscar telecast. Compare that with the Super Bowl when almost uh, 100 million people were uh, were tuned in. And there you have a situation where, you know, you got Tom Brady out there. You've got the football players that everyone is reading about in the gossip section of the sports section are also playing in the game. You've got Randy Moss there. It's a confluence of all the different stories, right? And the, the sort of land, sea, and air all comes together at the Super Bowl. Plus, it's a great game. I mean, the Super Bowl was a wonderful game. Uh, great, you know, I mean, it was, it was sloppy at times, but it was a really fun bit of football, especially if you're a Giants fan living in Boston. Um, but, uh, you know, in the Oscars, there wasn't a heck of a lot of human drama as to who was going to win these different awards. Um, I, I don't think that anybody, I mean, I wasn't a huge fan, and we'll get to this later, I wasn't a huge fan of No Country for Old Men, but I don't feel like people were wronged because it won a bunch of awards. I don't feel like there was any sort of major slight, although we'll get to that later, I think. So, uh, right, well, let's get to it now. Uh, so, the winners. Let's talk about the winners. Best Picture, No Country for Old Men. What do you think? I mean, I'll, I'll say real quick and I'll pass it off. I didn't like it that much. I didn't enjoy it. I can see why it would win the award. It had a, a lot of uh, virtuosity, a lot of different disciplines of filmmaking. I can see why a lot of the professionals with a lot of different specialties would vote for it. Um, you know, I, I remember seeing certain shots, certain sequences, and being really awed by, you know, the elegance of it. Um, for me, I didn't really like the movie. Um, I wouldn't have voted for it, but I can see why it won. I mean, I, I, I honestly didn't see it. Um, I'm going to come out and just be, be honest about that uh, because I was in Kenya when it was out and then just haven't gotten the chance to get along and see it uh, since I've been back. But, um, I mean, I read a really interesting thing. I believe it was in uh, the New York Magazine uh, culture blog, uh, Vulture. Um, that they were they were looking at is it you know which place in the in the uh, box office grossing list of the best picture nominees wins the most often and it was actually the number two uh, 
grossing movie has won the most often in the last 20 years, I believe, the last 15, 20 years. And that was the case um, here also. And, and that was the case here. And it makes sense because it wasn't going to be Juno. I mean, um, I think it made, even though that was the highest grossing of the of the five and it was sort of the popular, the plucky popular favorite. By, it, well, it, yeah, by a, by a factor of three. I mean, Juno has grossed $150 million to No Country's 50, at least as right. of the Oscar telecast. Right, right. But it still was – I mean, No Country was – Still number two, I think probably pretty comfortably also. And I believe what uh, There Will Be Blood was the lowest grossing of the five, if, mm-hmm. I'm, if I'm mistaken. So, um, I mean, I, it, it makes sense because I, 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 for me, I felt like it was between There Will Be Blood and No Country. And I think uh, um, from what I've heard from a lot of people and what I've from reading on on over overthinkingit.com, you know, many people are leaning as an art, a lasting artistic achievement. Many people are leaning towards there will be blood, but the, um, you know, no country seems to have been the, the sort of middle ground between sort of artistic aims and having some amount of, uh, you know, pop cultural uh, relevance. I mean, even people who didn't see it had this image of Javier Bardem, um, you know, lumbering along with his, with his bowl cut, you know? Right. It's uh yeah, it's a genre movie. It's an extremely well-crafted genre movie. So is Michael Clayton, by all reports, right? So is Atonement, for that matter. Atonement, I didn't see. Juno, I did like a lot. And I think it's very easy as, you know, hipsters to be very cynical about this movie because it has this, like, Diablo Cody voice that, I don't know, is does get a little strident, I guess, after after a while. But this was, I mean, it was a movie about people, and maybe it was a fantasy. I mean, like, you know, a girl gets knocked out, the father stays in the picture. You know, her parents are totally supportive. She's not kicked out of school and sent to finishing school or something. Yeah, no, 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 all the way down. But it's this sort of warm-hearted, warm-hearted movie. There were sort of hidden dimensions, I think, of, of humanity in this movie where people were not just the the horrific hipster caricatures that you thought they were all going to be when you saw Rain Wilson at the beginning, you know, talking about doodle that can't be undid, a home skillet. There's been, I feel like the main complaint about Juno has been, oh, things work out too well. I mean, I haven't seen it, but it sounds to me like uh, similar to what the New Yorker reported on a year or two back, uh, the sort of um, lake in the woods, gray flannel suit continuum, this idea that, you know, every time we represent a traumatic human event, we have to play out the entire maudlin melodramatic story of social failure. You know, you have to say, oh, it's teen pregnancy. We have to show all the terrible things that can happen in teen pregnancy in this movie. Don't people like to be entertained? Are you not entertained? <laughs> well, is it, there are some people who do handle these things better than others. And, you know, human experience is not homogenous. So I, I dispute any time that somebody says, oh, you know, the, the movie shouldn't be told this way because there's only one way that this experience could be lived. You know, and that's that I dispute on general grounds, though I haven't seen the movie. I don't know. Right, but right. I think that yeah. aspect of it was was good. I mean, I, I think what I found to be off-putting is exactly what Matt highlighted, is that there's it's the voice of Juno herself is is the, what almost what really drowns out the really beautiful and really nice things about the movie, and it's because 
you 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 really feel like if you know going into the movie or read afterwards, you know about the background of the of the screenwriter of Diablo Cody, you really feel like she is putting herself into this this sixteen year old girl and talking how I guess maybe she says honest to blog. I mean, she does have like a pinup tattoo on her arm, so that might be something that somebody like that would say. Um, I have been putting like, I've been putting the phrase honest to blog on the blog like a whole lot, and maybe I should stop. Because it really is played out. I mean, uh, Balinky wrote the post today about I Drink Your Milkshake being totally played out. And, and I agree. I mean, that that's Jump the Shark. No, Somebody so needs I, to go see the counterfeiters and get something in Austrian up there. We've got a catchphrase <laughs> going in Austrian. Yeah, it's just, it's just, ach, drink your milkshake. <laughs> um, I will point uh, out, as, as you've mentioned before, that uh, very, very few people in the world have actually seen that movie. So it's it's really only played out with you know extremely overeducated white guys like ourselves. Like the rest of the country will just look at you like you're an insane person if you start yelling milkshake at them. Which is great because he's insane in the movie. It's wonderful. Well, I don't know though because I mean it's definitely now it's gotten it definitely has all the uh, like the 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 sort of. Uh, hallmarks of a sort of played out catchphrase, right? It was on uh, Saturday Night Live this past weekend. Right. Um, you know, it's been used on SportsCenter. Bill uh, Hader, Bill Hader, by the way, doing a very great. I mean, you heard my Daniel Plainview at the beginning of the podcast, but like Bill Hader nailed the voice, nailed all the lines. I mean, you almost. I mean, I don't say I loved there will be blood. But you almost don't need to see it because you really got like basically the highlight <laughs> reel right there. Like, <laughs> right. When I say I am an oil man, I think you will agree. This is my son, H.W. Plainview. Yeah. Sorry, I just can't resist. Sometimes I like to go into it. I'm a bad of my boy. I'm a bad of my boy. That's a new catchphrase. I'm a bad of my boy. <laughs> Give so me the blood. Give me the blood. That... I want the blood. In what situations is I've abandoned my boy a usable catch catchphrase? <laughs> I think it's when you, when you drop a, a hot dog on the ground. <laughs> Whenever anything bad happens. I actually use it as a masturbation euphemism for the future. <laughs> All right. Uh, actor in a leading role, Daniel Day-Lewis. No surprise there. Actress in a leading role, Marion Cotillard, La Vie en Rose, I which I did not movie. see. Until oh, it means today. the V of the Rose. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> What's well, the, uh, it's, the uh, has... <laughs> it's the Edith Piaf uh, biopic, right? Um, uh, and I mean, I don't know. I, you know, judging by the last few musician biopics I've seen, probably you know she grows up in adversity. Uh, she she is a strange and alluring talent. She gets popular. She has some breakdowns. Uh, she wins and the big every... freestyle rap competition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And then <laughs> redeeming comeback. Like, um, I understand that it's a lot of her going <laughs> on stage. Were there no American actresses? Were there no? I don't know. Well, who? What's well, American? Because Alan Page's is is Canadian, right? Like, yeah. So, well, and Kate Blanchett. Were... Kate Blanchett is uh, Australian. So were there were there no American? Who was the who was the fifth? <laughs> Uh, Julie, uh, Laura Linney for the Savages, and she's American. So I don't know. So, so there, yeah, there were two. I mean, what were we gonna do, Kate Blanchett? I think Kate Blanchett would have been the safe choice, I guess. Can Can we please get, put a moratorium on giving Best Costume Design Oscars to people who do movies in the Elizabethan period? I'm right. really freaking tired of it. I like, know. Yeah.
And, but isn't it funny how costume designers all look like costume designers? Did you see how they were dressed? <laughs> I was thinking that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She had that backless scoop, that scoop back, whatever it was. Right, exactly. Uh, animated feature, Ratatouille. Uh, foreign language, who cares? Documentary, who cares? Actually, can we go back to animated? Because, I mean, I was rooting for Persepolis. And I well, right. This, yeah, this I, I guess a lot of people were. a surprise to me. Um, I mean, Ratatouille was great. But, I mean, uh, Persepolis was awesome. Like, and it was just a really, um, it, it had, it had humor. It had, um, a lot of, you know, great winks and nods to like, you know, other types of, of animation, but while telling a really amazing, uh, personal story of, of growing up in Iran and, and politics and family and, and, and revolution. I mean, it was, it, it really was a, a amazing film. And so I felt, I mean, it was, I don't know. I was a little surprised by that. I was I, surprised also, yeah, because you you imagine that that Academy voters again go for the prestige picture over right. the over the popular thing. Right, right, right. I think Academy voters are tired of being called anti-American, and we're not going to vote for a movie about Iran. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I guess that would get old after a little while. Yeah, I mean, they are kind of seen as like just this ridiculous communist enclave on you know the end of the country. Uh, uh, supporting actor Javier Bardem, no surprise. Supporting actress Tilda Swinton, an excellent actress, I think, and she's done a bunch of other stuff. That's Narnia, that... Constantine, some great work. Big <laughs> <laughs> fan of her performance in Constantine is the Angel Gabriel. <laughs> Um, I think that's an underrated movie. It's really yeah. a solid two and a half star. Doesn't really belong in the two star. Oh, maybe two star, <laughs> which is its its consensus. Uh, the scene between Keanu Reeves and the devil is brilliant, legitimately brilliant. Um, so there's at least thirty seconds of brilliance in the movie. And Rachel Weisz goes through the whole thing in a wet white blouse with a black bra. So what what more could you possibly find? Until this, she won this. For Constantine, uh, just like Michael Pink guy was nominated because he also wrote a little movie called Devil's Advocate, um, which is one of the greatest films ever made. So I'm just getting that out there. Um, I was rooting for for Surfs Up, Penguin Surfing. Anyway, um, back. She's to a. <laughs> you know, it's very easy to be a hater. It's actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually not easy to be a hater as you've just been a hater with like so much by marshalling so much supporting evidence from high. <laughs> from I, I think high we've almost, I don't know how we can go on. I think that might we we might have just ended this podcast. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe we should. I think I, yeah. I don't think there's a ton. Uh, I don't think there's a ton more to say about the Academy Awards. Uh, no. I didn't see it. How was John Stewart? Oh right, John Stewart. Um, he was good. I mean, he he was very. He had kid gloves on. He made it a point in his interviews before the Oscars and during the Oscars not to be critical of the stars. Um, he acknowledged sort of openly, the, "This is the biggest day of their careers. I'm not going to go up there and bash them. I have this tendency to bash them, um, dig. I don't know what the word he used was exactly, but uh, he he was very nice to them. It was very smarmy and old timey." He talked about, you know, Jack Nicholson impregnating people, but that was pretty much as like negative as it went. Well, he did he did the Dennis Hopper psychedelic bit that was, you know, but it, that bit bombed. I mean, no one, you know, no one laughed. At the very beginning? Yeah. Yeah, it was in the monologue. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, I thought it was a good monologue. I mean, I thought I you know, I thought that like given, you know, they only had a week to do it because there were no writers before then and 
the whole town's coming back to work, and really, what do you say? And everyone is just so grateful that the thing is happening. Everyone in the business, anyway. Apparently, America couldn't care less. Mm. Some good ad-libs. The ad-lib about, um, oh, what's his name from The Frames? Come uh, on, Ryan, The Frames. Oh, no. I, 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 they actually weren't on my radar, to be very honest. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the the Irish, Glenn, Glenn Hansart yeah. uh, from Once, right? When he gave this incredibly humble, you know, uh, acceptance speech, and Jon Stewart was like, boy, that guy is arrogant. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, some good ad, I mean, a, a couple actually good ad-libs. Like oh, that. I, I refuse to acknowledge any best song Oscar now because in my mind and heart, uh, Three Six Mafia is the eternal and like <laughs> uh, best song winner for It's Hard Out There for a Pimp from Hustle. You know, um, now I think that... they should just obliterate the category because nothing will ever top that. Period. Like it's, it's um, it's funny that actually was like the best Stewart ad-lib ever, right? Yes, when he yes. came out afterwards and said, Martin Scorsese, zero Oscars. Three Six Mafia, one Oscar. <laughs> you know, and so they, with their tail between their legs, The Departed, which really was, you know, The Departed was an Oscar for uh, Third Watch, I think, really. Or no, Bringing Out the Dead. Third Watch yeah. is the TV series that's very, <laughs> very similar. <laughs> well, the Oscar for Cold Case. It's uh, a kind of film. Right, uh, Gary Sneese. Yeah, Gary Sneese is going to win one of these days for all his work on CSI, even though <laughs> even though it can't be nominated. I really, yeah, I hope that Three Six Mafia becomes the Randy Newman of uh, of, of movie <laughs> songs. You know, like that's, that's really my eternal dream for that category. That every year we have at least one Three Six Mafia song uh, nominated for best song, and hopefully it's, for Pixar movies and romantic comedies. It's like, hard out there for a Duke of Raleigh. It's hard out there. Exactly. <laughs> What's up with the Born Ultimatum? Born Ultimatum got some pretty high praise in some pretty tough categories, uh, beating out a whole bunch of really good movies. Movie <laughs> because I sure as hell didn't. Editing, uh, well, editing, uh, sound, sound editing or sound effects editing or something. I think should have been Transformers because that movie was all sound effects editing. I mean, it, uh, I was practically <laughs> deafened by it when I came out of it. Well, that doesn't sound like a really ringing endorsement. It's <laughs> <laughs> actually the lack of sound editing, right? <laughs> I mean, it, it won all the editing awards. It won film editing. It won sound editing. It won mixing. It won like pretty much all of the all the sort of technical splice room stuff went right to the Formal Ultimatum, the third film in a middle of the road, though high quality action franchise. Wait, um, did you see the last one, Pete? I, I only saw the first one. Okay, um, the the that is a fantastically. Uh, well done movie. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, the, I mean, it, it is a, it is an hour and a half long chase scene that keeps you entertained and involved and engaged for the entire thing. The editing is is genius. You should you should see it. I'm not all surprised right. at all that it won. Yeah, I, you know, I thought it was great. It was my pick when we had this discussion on on the email list that eventually turned into the overthinking it blog. Uh, it was my pick, not Pirates, for Best Summer Movie, just because I think it was Pirates. I was like, there were just some cringeworthy moments, but but um, despite, you know, notable high points, but The Bourne Ultimatum just, you know, punches you in the face and doesn't let up. I mean, it's what it won almost, it was on the second most amount of Oscars of any film, right? Yeah. And won four, it won three. And that for none of the sort of, they were all technical categories. Yeah, but I mean, anyone who's made a movie knows that editing is, you know, you know, science and art. It's it's heavy duty stuff. 
it was commercially successful also. So maybe there's a, you know, maybe that's the, the middle ground that the Academy can strike at the moment between art and commerce. Perhaps. Good editing. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, that has been the Overthinking It podcast. We are at like an hour and ten minutes now, so I don't think we should go on anymore. Uh, thank you, Pete Fenzel. You're welcome. Thank you, Ryan Sheely. Yep, yep. Uh, thank you, Gracchus, uh, on the phone from Washington, D.C. Thanks for having me. We'll get you back as things progress. Okay. I am Matt Rather. Visiting us uh, on the web is easy. You go to www.overthinkingit.com. It is time to go abandon my boy.